When we think about the future of work, often we're left with more questions than answers as leaders. But if the future of work truly is ours to shape, what does the model look like and what trends are emerging that we can take advantage of? This week, we're joined by Peter Cosgrove, the Managing Director of FutureWise Limited, a future of work research company that supports organizations in navigating the rapidly changing world of work. Peter joined a recent IMI Council meeting to contextualize the challenges and opportunities that the future of work can present. I am delighted today to be joined on the IMI Talking Leadership podcast by Peter Cosgrove. Peter, how are you today? Very well, thanks. Very well. It's great to have you, Peter. So much to discuss today. Uh, Your session at the IMI Council certainly brought up many questions for many leaders, I have no doubt, in terms of the future of work. Um, And I wanted to just start off um, with something that you you mentioned at your, your council session, which was about this idea of creating new rules and that we need to focus on these unwritten rules for culture to thrive in our businesses. Um, so I wanted to ask you first, how would you advise leaders to safeguard culture um, as we move forward into this new world of work? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We, we often, especially, uh, pre-COVID, we associated parks like ping pong tables and birthday celebrations as great, as great culture. But these are expressions or channels of culture, but the real culture is based on the mission, the values um, of the workforce. And the reality is the most effective methods for building this sort of unity are soft skills like communication, empathy and trust. And why that's important is all of these are possible in fully remote distributed teams. So they're location independent. So we have to probably work out that the culture isn't based on the office or what the office looks like. So that was the first part that a lot of organizations have to get their mind around, where a lot of times, honestly, people realize that the values might be written on the walls, but they may not actually be something that was kind of followed every day. So when I talked about these unwritten rules, it was just that idea that lots of people even pre-COVID would have things like they'd have policies on flexible working. So they were allowed work flexibly, but the actual rule wasn't the same as the unwritten rule, which was you were kind of looked on a little bit negatively if you left the office at four o'clock and people felt guilty sneaking out because even though they were allowed to do it, it wasn't actually the rule of the organization. And those sorts of rules are going to come back in because we've lots of rules pre-COVID and now we're going to have lots of of different rules. And I think challenges are going to be things like, you know, if we say we're going to come back three days a week, but all the senior leaders start to come back five days a week, the unwritten rule is, you know, come to work if you really want a career and stay at home if you just want a job. Now, companies will say they don't mean that, but unless you actually demonstrate from the top down what the rule is, you're actually you can write down whatever policy you want, but the practice will be very, very different. Yeah, and that's that's fascinating. You, you touched there actually on some of the challenges that you know we're going to be facing, including that as as you explained that idea of sort of presenteeism, job versus career. So, what other types of um, workplace challenges do you envisage as we return to the office, and what might the implications of those be? Well, I think there's an employer and employee side. So taking the employee side, most of them at the moment say, oh, I love working from home. It's great. And I'm much, much more productive. And I suppose I'd have to be honest and think, I don't think they are. I think what we are better at is being busy and we're working longer hours and we're doing more tasks. But if you think about it, um, you have a lot more as an employee, as a relationship with your employer than just doing tasks. You know, you're part of a culture. There's lots of things that can't be measured. So leadership, mentoring, on-the-job training, even laughing in the office, you know, which is something that we do together, we don't do individually. So employees need to realize if you want to work at home all the time, that's essentially what a freelancer does, but you are part of a collective. 
So there is that challenge. And secondly, that whole idea of working and being busy, which is a real thing we all, all seem to be talking about, this hustle culture. The reality is with the way technology is going, we can't beat an algorithm. They can do things a million times quicker than us. So we've got to be very careful about what we're doing in terms of what's actually going to matter from the time of should we be doing more thinking and more ideating. The flip side is, if an employer is going to get people to come back to work, they've got to be very careful about how they do it, because there's no point telling people that we're going to have this 3-2 model or whatever the model is. If you come into work three days a week, but all your team members are still at home and you end up having Zoom calls from the office to people at home. So employers often have this idea that we, you know, when we all go back to the office, we're going to suddenly be all innovative and coming up with these ideas. But the reality is we're often drowned down in meetings and emails and people could be sitting in the office again doing the exact same job they're doing at home. So companies need to really think about how they're actually going to build that interaction, that time together, because we have somewhat lost a network effect, because at the moment, we're kind of in this experimentation middle phase, we're only maybe 30% or 60% are in the office at any one time. So the two things employers need to think about are one, who needs to come back to the office and when, and even how collectives need to come together. But the second thing is, when do we need to be work synchronously and when can we work asynchronously? Because that's important as well. There's a lot of people who, whether they're at office or, or not, they, they want to be able to do deep work. They want to be able to work for four hours without having to co go to a meeting or be interrupted. So I think there's a few challenges for both employee and employer. I suppose that this idea has direct, uh, you know, kind of downstream effects. Then, as we look at, you know, talent and the race for talent, which, as we've seen, um, you know, greater attrition rates in organizations, and you know, sort of a maybe a shift in the balance of power and agency of of employees. Uh, so, as we look ahead with that kind of race for talent in mind, what should organizations be considering to make sure that they retain their best talent, and where might opportunities lie in that space? Do you think? Yeah, there's a whole phrase at the moment called the great resignation where people are saying, you know, we'll have more people resigned than ever before. Now, we have to hold a little bit because actually the stats in the states so that we say that we've had more people resigning, you know, for the than ever before um, in just in the US. But actually what they didn't highlight is the year before almost nobody resigned because of the year of COVID. So there's a little bit of work to do on that. I think what's happened over the last year and a half is people have actually had a really good look at themselves and the job they do and they realize when you take away a lot of the interaction and maybe the part of the job they enjoyed the friends they made in the office they don't really enjoy the job themselves so companies need to be prepared for that and they need to actually start to think well what is it that actually keeps an employee here and the reality is it was never really the perks that we think it was the joke was even in google with all their free food people would often go oh jesus not crab sandwiches again <laughs> so you know even when you get all these perks the fact is they become quite normative very, very quickly. And we want more. What actually people care about is earning and learning. You know, they want that kind of reward for being there. So they feel they're adequately remunerated. But more importantly, they want to learn, they want to have challenge. And I think the companies that are actually going to appreciate that employees realize that jobs are going quicker than ever before from technology, that they need more skills, and they need to actually be invested in. The second thing is, I think this idea we can now hire from anywhere is both a great thing and a worrying thing, because that means your staff can also work from anywhere. And I think we need to realize that actually there's a positive effect, but actually it's very, very different than having remote workers that are already in your organization. If you hire people for the first time and they're living, you know, 10,000 miles away and you've never met them and actually think the different relationship between that and knowing people and then going remote is very different and the communication can be tricky. And then the last area is people are talking about the gig economy where we can get people for like 10% of the price to do our, you know, graphic design and all this. And this is wonderful. 
But again, I ask many employers who have never even used the gig economy. And if you use the gig economy, you realize it can be great, but it also has lots of challenges for similar things for people who work um, remotely and have never come into the office. Communication is at a premium because when people work with you and you talk to them every week or every day, you have these little micro conversations where you check on, on progress. Whereas if you give someone a project and you don't speak to them properly again till the end, it can be very difficult to get exactly what you want. So there is opportunities there in terms of the ability to hire talent but there's actually going to be some real challenges in terms of keeping your best talent as well yeah definitely that idea of a double-edged sword in many respects uh, the challenges and the opportunities that lie ahead but just looking back a bit now peter i suppose it's kind of a big question to ask but in your opinion in broad terms how has the world of work kind of changed during covid and you know in your work that you've done what trends have you noticed and what might the outcomes be for leaders or the takeaways that as we go forward I, I always use the phrase change has never happened so fast but it will never happen so slow again so however fast we think things are moving this is probably the slowest it'll be which is slightly terrifying and we talk about this phrase that we hear all the time exponential growth but if you think about the actual phrase exponential growth it means doubling every year we can only really think linearly so this is one of the reasons why COVID went out of control so quickly people couldn't understand how quick exponential growth was growing so if you think linear 1 to 32 is 32 steps but 1 to 32 equivalent in exponential growth is 1, 2, 4, 8. And that goes to 2.1 billion in 32 steps. So that's the change. And when you then look at how technology is changing, it is incredible how fast the world has been disrupted, regardless of whether COVID was coming around or not. Recently, I saw the WhatsApp in Korea called Kako, which has started a bank, and it only started the bank five years ago. Now, firstly, it's a WhatsApp you know, equivalent starting a bank. 30% of Koreans now have bank accounts. So we have to realize that disruption is happening so much quicker, but where it's really happening is in the technology space. Because those companies, if you ask someone in a bank, what do they do? They say banking. If you ask someone in insurance, they say insurance. But if you ask someone in tech company like Google or Facebook, they don't say they do te uh, technology. They say, we kind of do everything. Because Amazon started as a bookstore, then it became an everything store. And now if you think about it, it's in innovation, it's in healthcare. And it's because it's digital. And when you're digital, it's very frictionless to move from one to the other. So that's the first thing we need to realize. If, you're, if your company is not infused with some sort of digital element, it's going to be a real challenge. The second thing is we have to really worry about is jobs. And yes, lots of people talk about the jobs problem where lots of jobs are going, but then people will say lots more will appear. But we kind of have to think about, you know, Kodak at its height had 155,000 workers. Instagram was sold uh, with only 19. GE at it, its height had almost 750,000 workers. But some of the biggest organizations at the moment by revenue have nowhere near that amount. So there is this worry about where the jobs are going to go. So the other thing I would just say that we have to really think about is the well-being of employees. So what we've seen now from a trend point of view is in the last 18 months, a lot of people are working from home, but we've all realized that without this decompression time, when we actually used to go to the office and maybe have that half an hour getting into the office or coming home, that was kind of our time. We're literally working longer hours and we've no kind of decompression between when we finish work and then when we go downstairs and someone literally says, what's for dinner? And I think we don't realize that those guardrails we had where work essentially told us when to start and when to stop were actually quite useful because we're not very good at doing that ourselves. So I think that they're some of the challenges we have. Definitely. Yeah. And I suppose one of the other challenges um, on the subject of challenges uh, as we look ahead, would be uh, something you mentioned in your in your council session was the optimization of the customer experience and the changing nature of that. 
um, with questions over, you know, how do we build relationships virtually? How do we kind of recreate what we had before? And maybe there isn't a kind of a straightforward way to do that. But how do you see the kind of optimization of customer experience playing out as, as we move forward? Yeah, it's interesting because most people, you know, whether they like it or not, would have seen those relationship and sales roles often being a lot to do with charisma and that relationship building. But often it was because of that face to face. You might bring them to a nice restaurant and all those things are slightly changing. So when you look at what clients are doing now is the first thing they're thinking is, well, hang on, we've got more opportunities now because but back to the double edged sword, we can now talk to clients anywhere, but then so can all our competitors. But what they have to think about is how do we actually interact with these people more often? Because actually it's easier to interact with people more often if they live in a different country because we're not having to take a flight every time. Secondly, people then talk about what we've really forgotten is even if we're on Zoom or in Microsoft Teams with someone, often we're not looking the part. You know, our lighting isn't right. We haven't dressed to appropriately because remember, this is what people are seeing. They're seeing probably your face and the, the top half of your body at most, but actually how you look is how you're presenting yourself. Whereas there's no way we wouldn't have gone to a client wearing a suit and looking our best. So we have to think about that. Thirdly, we have to think about things like PowerPoint presentations, which we used to give. And what a lot of companies are doing now is they're kind of changing these. They're realizing our clients are probably on meetings all day, every day. Let's have a smaller, pithier video, which kind of shows our product in two or three minutes. And then we can have a quick conversation about it. And then the bit I like a lot is people are really focusing more on the emotional touch points. So I heard of teams who would arrange things like a special birthday uh, birthday gift for a client. And it would arrive at their door during their Zoom call. So they'd see the client getting the flowers or getting the gift. And those are the sort of ways they actually build that kind of, you know, kind of relationship. So it is very, very possible to build these relationships. But we have to realize it is a very different way than it was before. Absolutely. That, that idea of getting a gift while you're on a Zoom call, it's, it's a very 21st century idea, isn't it? It's, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, actually, uh, Peter, just to, um, to kind of follow to the next question, you mentioned before around technology and how these, these organizations that during the pandemic were set up with kind of more advanced um, technology at their disposal were able to navigate the crisis uh, a bit better and were, you know, you know, able to scale a bit more. Um, and you did mention as well during the presentation at the council that uh, Ireland ranks very poorly in terms of AI adoption. And obviously AI is going to be, you know, exploding over the next few years. It already is. So um, how does AI figure, do you believe, into the growth potential and adaptability of businesses in the future? Yeah, because interestingly, we're, we're very good when it comes to the research. And when it comes to um, Euro AI fellows, Ireland is number one per population density of all of Europe. But it's more when we ask the question is, you know, will you be using AI in the next few years? The Accenture survey showed that one out of two companies in Ireland said they'd no plans to do it. And the worry about that is there's this kind of uh, Amara's law, which say we overestimate tech in the short term, but we very much underestimate it in the long term. So someone says when it comes to self-driving cars, the first 99%, you know, takes 99% of the time, the last 1% also takes 99% of the time. But the reality is, as it starts to move forward, it becomes incredibly quick. And when you look at the way AI is changing jobs, we often think about robots and machines, but for many people in the professional services, it's gonna be things like RPA, um, which is gonna be these companies like UPath, or Blue Prism. And these companies are up to $30 billion organizations where essentially they're finding the jobs that people do from a process point of view and taking away parts of those jobs. And what I always say when I hear people say that 50% of jobs are going to be gone in 10 years, I don't believe that for a second, but I believe many parts of the job, like many tasks within that will go. 
And I think what organizations need to realize is not are robots and machines going to overtake humans. It's how do we work with the best skills and soft skills that humans have and use them to their best of their ability? And where we've got an Excel spreadsheet, why are we getting an accountant to look at this when an AI can do it, you know, a billion calculations in a couple of seconds? So it's about working together to make sure there's lots of things. So, for instance, when I look at what am I worry when I look at AI is we're now working kind of remotely a lot of the time, but actually one of our key skills as humans is actually that 3D connection. Whereas if I meet you, Dave, I can actually probably work out if you're a bit annoyed with me or if you're you know, embarrassed about something, because we get a feeling when we're in pe people's presence, but we can actually explain what that feeling is. And therefore it's going to be very long time before machines actually take that. But those relationship skills, those influencing skills, those persuading skills, those soft skills that we have are going to be the ones we want, but we need to be doing that alongside taking away all that process. Maybe you could, for a lot of people, drudgery jobs that robots can do, and that can actually catapult your organization. Peter, just a, a final question for you now. In your kind of interactions with leaders, I suppose one of the most interesting things to look at is, you know, we've been through this crisis. We've all changed in some way. Organizations have changed. But what are the kind of key things that leaders have pointed out to you about the period of disruption that they plan to maybe carry on as a key part of their business in the future, as a kind of a fundamental piece? That's something that they say, this changes and we're never going to be able to look back you know, the same way again. Yeah. So I think the first thing is companies have realized that um, when things were made happen, so when people suddenly had to work from home, they realized decisions were taken out of their hands. So they realized they were able to suddenly run projects in nine weeks that used to take nine months. So what they said is we cannot lose that speed and agility that we had. So we've now shown we can do that, but we can't just go into the status quo. They've said they're very much committed to flexibility of workers probably a little bit more than remote working. And I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of employees are as keen on the full remote option because actually it does cause real challenges in terms of having that workforce, you know, behaviorally when you've half the people on a boardroom and half the people online, actually the meetings become even trickier bizarrely than when everybody's online. There's also this whole idea of focusing on leadership, you know, the values and the behaviors of the leaders, because there's no point, you know, saying that this is what we want. We want like flexibility if your leaders don't really believe in it and buy into it. So I think companies are realizing that's a key thing. The two other things are really around technology. One, to try and use technology as competitive advantage. They've realized that, yes, we, um, companies were very slow to adopt to things like video calling and interviewing and it'll never work and remote working is not possible and they've realized it will. So now they're saying, how will this work in many, many other areas of our business that we've never looked at? And the last part is really a more of a hope that they will look at the well-being of employees. And when it comes to the future, they will focus very much on trusting the employee and maybe less on monitoring the employee. And I think we're probably too early to say, but there's a lot of organizations who I fear are going a little bit more down the monitoring. If I can't see the employee, I don't know what they're doing, as opposed to trusting the employee, and you're much more likely to get a lot more out of them. Exactly. And as, as we often hear, there's no roadmap for what's to come, but certainly um, it is within leaders' hands to an extent to uh, shape the future of work to see, see how it all works out. Um, Peter Cosgrove, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.